0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this day. For you are our strength and our redeemer through Christ Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I do bring you greetings from across the mountain, from Covenant Presbyterian Church. Uh, It's a privilege uh, to be here today. Uh, You're a church, this is a church that's highly thought of, of course, by our body and actually been ministered to greatly uh, by members of this body uh, as well as congregants. Uh, I've heard of this series for a good while. Martha and I actually moved here in July. And, but for years I had heard about the church and even about this series through various uh, friends uh, that I would had through connections, uh, actually through a camp in North Alabama, Alpine camp for boys. But it, it really is an honor to be here. I uh, found myself being a little nervous beforehand. And uh, Joe, who's so pastoral, careful, he and I were sitting uh, in the seats right inside the uh, preparatory room here, and Dean Limehouse came by and said, peace be with you, brother, I'll be listening for heresy. (laughs) Really appreciated the pastoral nature of that. Um, The truth is, I've been called a closet Anglican at times, and I feel a little bit uncloseted today, but um, we'll move forward. Recently, I was... uh, working in my front yard. It's more of a ravine than it is a yard, and I've uh, been telling our congregation about chopping down various things, mainly vines, uh, wisteria, poison ivy, things of that nature, and I decided to put my iPod on, or uh, actually my iPhone, and I put it on Pandora, put it to Simple Minds Radio, you can make of that what you will, and um and as I was listening and chopping away, a song came on that I actually had never really liked, but I'm chopping away and I thought I'm just letting this go. And, and near the end of the song, here, here's the refrain. It says, here comes the world with the look in its eye, future uncertain, but certainly slight. Look at the faces, listen to the bells. It's hard to believe we need a place called hell, a place called hell. Now, i really, again, never liked that song. It's, it's um, a song by NXS. NXS was a kind of a super band from 1977 to 1997. The song is actually entitled The Devil Inside. And as I was listening, though, I was trying to figure out, you know, what is Michael Hutchins, who wrote this song, trying to say? Michael Hutchence um, was kind of a superstar for a long, or at least for a little while. Uh, his life was a string of love affairs with prominent actresses, models, singers, Um, He actually had a relationship with a British television personality named Paula Yates. Uh, At the time, she was married to Bob Geldof, who produced Live Aid and was probably the most influential musical producer in the world. And out of that relationship, they had a child. And in 1997, uh, Hutchins was found uh, hanging in his own hotel room uh, in New South Wales. Uh, Three years later, Yates, uh, his widow, Died of a heroin overdose, and their daughter was then given back over to custody of Bob Geldof. And I say that because I think Michael Hutchins um, when he said look at the faces and listen to the bells, it's hard to believe in a place that we need a place called hell. I think part of what he meant was in a world like this, you know, in a world this broken, and he was a guy who had tasted of a lot of the best things the world has to give. Why would you ever need something like hell if the world is already this hellish? As I was clearing out the vines and listening to this and, you know, being forced to think and things like that, you know, I began to think, you know, the truth is hell has not had a big place in my preaching. I've been ordained for about 16 years now. And... Uh, maybe part of that is that is that I'm more reflective of the culture than I would like to be. Hell no longer has a big place in even the culture of the church. I mean, in, in our time, it's actually okay to broach the subject of sex from the pulpit. You, you don't really get into much trouble for that. But, but there are two things that you really have to be careful if you're a pastor broaching. It. And one is money. You just don't touch that because money is the new intimacy, right? It's the sex of our time that you just you don't get into that. But the other is hell. With money, you're treading on intimate ground. With hell, you just seem like you're treading on anachronistic ground. You know, that's the kind of thing that used to be important, but in a world like ours, we don't have to deal with that kind of thing anymore. And yet, God, in his infinite wisdom, sense of humor, even seemed to use Michael Hutchence's haunting lyrics to to kind of waken me, I think, a little bit out of a, a stupor. Now... Uh, and part of that is that I think he has a point. You know? It's not fully orthodox what he's saying, but, but he is hitting on something. Uh, this time and this place that you and I called life often leaves us with no other vocabulary to describe what's going on in the word hell. Now, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm quite familiar with the word. Um, I'm an old misgraduate, and a few years ago I took uh, my, we have four children. Uh, I always say that the fourth one is out for loan if anyone needs a young child. He's two years old. A lot of fun. Um, But I took my two oldest boys, who are now 14 and 11, to an Ole Miss game a few years ago, and I'm thinking beforehand, how do I prepare them for this? It was the Ole Miss-LSU game, and so I said, boys, I don't know how to say this except that you're going to hear some things today that are probably not too appropriate. And... um, it's going to basically go like this. We'll just be sitting there and something will happen or not happen or, you know, there'll be reason or no reason, or whatever. And someone will stand up and at the top of their lungs they will yell out, go to hell, LSU. And everyone will respond as if that's a very appropriate rallying cry. And the truth is at Ole Miss, it doesn't matter who we're playing. People always yell, go to hell, LSU. And... Um i 'm familiar with hell you know in that kind of concept, and and, and i 'm familiar with hell you know, and, and the more sobering kind of concept is that occasionally you 'll say to someone, "You know how have you been?" and someone will say, "Well, well, you know the truth is life 's kind of been hellish, uh, you know and uh, my guess is is that each of us in this room have either used the word uh, or thought of the word to describe things like work, raising of children. Marriage, health, relationships. One of the most helpful things that uh, Martha and I ever had happen was when our firstborn, we were living in Austin, Texas at the time, when uh, he had been, he was about two weeks old, I think. A, a good friend and mentor of ours, she came over to the house. She had five children, and we marveled at her ability to, she and her husband, to manage this beautiful family. And she came to the door and brought a meal and da-da-da-da, and she said, how are y'all doing? And we both, you know, smiled like Southerners do and said, we're fine, you know, and she paused and she kind of leaned in and she said, it's kind of a dirty secret, people don't like to talk about it, but the first few weeks are just a living hell, aren't they? <laughs> and we didn't really know what to say except, whoo, amen, and, um... She said, but it gets better, you know, and it won't last that way. And it was as if someone had burst the bubble, you know, it's exactly uh, what we needed. And uh, Well, Jesus, he speaks the truth always, and the truth is, is that Jesus didn't shy away from talking about hell. And he didn't talk about it flippantly, and he actually didn't talk about it even mainly in the ways I've been talking about it. He talked about it in, in a much fuller way, even. And I want to read to you just a few of his words uh, this afternoon and then let us consider them for a few moments. Now now the context is important here. Jesus is sending out the twelve apostles as recorded in Matthew chapter 10. Um, He's on his way to Jerusalem where Jesus will literally walk into the mouth of hell. And in one sense he's preparing the disciples for this and he tells them, Don't go to the Gentiles right now. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. And here's what I want you to do. Proclaim the kingdom of God at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Take nothing with you. No gold, no silver, no copper, no bag, no tunic, no sandals, no food. Um, Whatever town you enter into, you'll be greeted there. And if you're not greeted there, just wipe the dust off your feet and move on. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable for that town if they don't receive you on the day of judgment than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's all kind of encouraging things like this, Jesus is saying. And then then he really gives them, you know, the bold thrust by saying, look, here's the deal. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Great. You're going to be dragged before synagogue rulers and governors and kings, and you're going to witness before them and... Um, I'm going to tell you what to say in that hour and when they persecute you, not if they persecute you, but when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, you'll not have gone through all this until the Son of Man appears. And and furthermore, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they call the members of his household? And now that the disciples are fully shaking in their boots and wondering what they've gotten into here, Um, I love what you know, the local Methodist bishop, Willem Wilmond, says, he says, if you're going to ride with Jesus, you've got to deal with this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, Jesus says this He says, So, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nothing is hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, I think there are just a couple of things to notice here, and then we'll make a point and go to lunch. But uh, in, in a passage like this where Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't touch the soul, fear the one who can kill body and soul, hell he gets our attention and, but there's a pattern that, that's that's very important in this little section and, and here's the pattern jesus says have no fear do not fear 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 not that's the rhythm of the text here have no fear do not fear fear and fear not so you got three fear nots basically and one fear And that gets our attention a little bit. What what are we to fear not? Well, Jesus is very clear. He's saying, look, I'm sending you out. And you're actually going to be persecuted. And the the sobering thing is he says it's mainly going to come from the church. But fear not. Don't fear those who can harm the body. Have no fear. Do not fear. Fear not. But he does say, you know, There's one commentator put it, 25% of the emphasis here is on fear. Well, fear what? Fear whom? Jesus just says, fear him. Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Well, who's that? I mean, the first thought would be, well, Satan, you know, fear him. He's the evil one. He's the destroyer. He's the one who... But in the context, actually, that's not who Jesus is talking about. matter of fact, Jesus never tells us to fear Satan. We're told in the scriptures that the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of the wisdom, and it's a theme that runs all the way through the Bible, and it's no different in this text. Jesus is saying, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell, and he's actually talking, There we say it, about God. Now, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons I don't preach a lot about hell. That just didn't sit real comfortably with me. It's not the kind of thing people needlepoint and put up in their bathroom or anything like that. Um, but notice one other pattern here that I think is very helpful. <clears throat> and it's the verbs in the text. They're very particular. Jesus says, fear him who can, who is able to destroy both body and soul and hell? Jesus follows that up with one of the most tender passages in the Bible. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, you can for a penny you can get not just one, you can get two sparrows. Yeah? Who knows? Someone might be able to get three. And yet something of, of such little worth are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them, either of them, will fall to the ground apart from your Father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now if you think about the verbs here, Jesus says, Fear him who can, who is able. But then Jesus says this, And know this, that which might happen, you need to also know what's true when something will happen. When a little sparrow does fall to the ground, your Heavenly Father knows it. But not only that, there's something else that has happened And that is that the hairs of your own head have already been numbered by God. You see the pattern of the verbs here. There's a possibility, there's a probability, and then there's a certainty. There is a possibility of the body and the soul being destroyed in hell. There is a probability that if something falls, that something will fall. And when it does, you can be certain of this, God knows it. By the way, quite possibly a veiled reference even to what is to come. And there's another certainty that the very hairs of your head have been numbered. Now, Martha and I actually have some history in counting hairs. Um, <clears throat> we have, uh, you know, I've got to go public with this. Uh, we've had lice in our household before. And, um,. You know, the, the the whole thing about the plagues in Egypt, you know, it'll all come to life if you get lice. And um, there's such a thing as a plague. And uh, Mark, actually, we had it twice. The first time we really did have them. The second time, when there were supposed signs, we were so, you know, Fearful after the first time that we bought it, and actually at the end of the time we realized we'd probably never had it, and put our children through all that because we were so fearful. And uh, but Martha just simply says, "This if we get it again, just take me straight to the psychiatric ward. Um, that can't be endured." And uh, we are familiar with the numbering of our children's hairs on their head out of necessity, you know, and out of calamity. But here, Jesus is talking of the numbering of hairs on our heads by the Heavenly Father out of creative intimacy. And it's actually precisely this creative power and this intimate knowledge that God has of us that he's referencing when he talks about God's ability to destroy the body and the soul in hell. Jesus is saying, look, you've got to come to grips with this. If there's one who's made you, he can unmake you. The ability is there. As one author has put it, you can fear God or you can fear everything. Those are your two choices. And Jesus is saying, fear him who actually has ability, not those who actually don't. Well, why say that? Well, partly I think because Jesus must think that without that kind of notice, without that kind of warning, that you and I, that his disciples, might be tempted um, to try to avoid the kind of persecutions, uh, to avoid uh, the kind of suffering that he speaks of in this passage beforehand, just to kind of avoid the kind of things that come to us in the midst of living in a fallen world as fallen people, we might be tempted to seek to avoid those things, to, to, to avoid uh, the risk of bodily harm at the price of physical and spiritual torment. Even eternally. And Jesus is saying, look, fear the right thing. Fear the right one. In other words... Don't trade the temporal for the eternal. Think of it this way. Um, Leva Merikakis, who's just a wonderful scholar, uh, he he pointed this out, which I thought was so helpful. When Jesus uses the word hell in this passage, the word he uses is Gehenna. It comes from the word Gehenom, which refers to uh, the Valley of Wailing, south of Jerusalem. Now, this is the valley where evil King Ahab, Introduced the practice of child sacrifice into Israel, as he chose to follow the pagan god Moloch, thus desecrating Israelite worship. Later on, King Josiah would actually come and desecrate the valley, meaning desecrate it, do away with all of such worship that was going on in it. And from that time, it became the public dump. It became the city incinerator. And thus, it's the place that was thought of, even when the words of Isaiah go forth that Jesus is partly referencing here. And and there's talk of the undying worm, of the unquenchable fire of hell, of Gehenna. The place being talked about was the city dump there. After all, it's in the city dump that there's the undying worm, right? It's always feeding on that which is there. It's the place of the unquenchable fire. There were always things being burned and incinerated there. We'll contrast that with the northeastern part of the city because this is the way Jesus' hearers would have gotten this. There's Gehenna, but there's also the northeastern part of the city, the mount where the temple is. Now the temple is the place where God and man come together. The temple is the place where body and soul, you know, are united. And we might put it this way, that the temple stood for the union of body and soul and the worship of the God of heaven and earth, and Gehenna stood for the dissolution of body and soul via idolatrous passion. Think of that. The dissolution of body and soul via idolatrous passion. It's a phrase that actually could be used to talk about our own culture. But the point is simply this. Jesus is seeking to drive home to his hearers that there's no what we might call third way in life. There's no neutrality. You, you can't choose to avoid sanctity as well as self-destruction. There are only two paths available for his hearers. And one path, as Miracoccus puts it, leads to the temple, to the awesome union of God and man already here on earth. And the other path leads to Gehenna, the rubbish pile of smoldering corpses. In other words, Jesus' command to fear God we might say, aims at awakening his disciples to the truth that human life and its deepest choices are an earnest affair. What we do is actually very important. To fear God is, in fact, to choose what is of eternal consequence over what is passing, or better yet, hear this, to choose the temporal and the material only within and in the light of the eternal and the spiritual. In other words, what Jesus is calling his disciples to is not to forsake the body and not to forsake the physical life, but to choose the body and to choose the physical life in the light of what's truly spiritual and what's truly eternal. This kind of fear that Jesus is talking about is really the only thing that will make us attend to not only our bodies, but the welfare of our souls. And it's at the union of body and soul that the crucial drama of our lives is acted out. So God can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. I think the real remaining question simply is, does he? Now, questions of this nature, which have quite a profound depth and even horror to them, I've learned should only be viewed in one particular setting. They're kind of like, um, a text like this is kind of like taking a photo you know, the film from an old camera and going into a dark room where you need the perfect darkness and the perfect kind of light in order to expose what's there and really see it for what it is and the place where we see that combination or the conditions where we have that kind of combination in order to really see something like this and understand it um, with the lenses um, of our soul and our heart is the cross of Christ Accompanied by the empty tomb and the risen body of the Lord Jesus. It's only in the context of the cross, the empty tomb, the risen body of Jesus that we can understand a passage like this, I think. And that we can answer a question like, well, does God destroy both body and soul in Gehenna? Because the answer is, He has. You see, the destruction of body and soul in hell, which we are called to focus upon as Christians, and Jesus is writing this to his followers, his disciples, is not some possible or potential destruction. Uh, To think that way is not to fear God, it's to focus on vague possibilities. The destruction of body and soul that must be our touchstone, but not only that, must be our hope. is the very path that you and I chart during Lent. It's the path that took Jesus to Gethsemane where his soul was in anguish. It's the path that watched him be betrayed at the bodily level and at the heart level by a friend through a kiss. It's the path in which he was handed over to those who would treat his body roughly It's the path that led him to endure a mock trial, a crown of thorns, the shame of public nakedness, the piercing of limbs and torso, the heaving of his chest, the cry of forsakenness by the Father, and the darkness of death, what we call hell. And the reason that the Heavenly Father sent him on that and did that is in order that through that dissolution, you and I, might have the resolution of our bodies and our souls in Christ, and that we might fear not. Nothing. But the God who is committed to doing anything and everything in order that his loved ones will not suffer eternally. I know that some of you have things going on in your lives right now, probably each of us, that really the only good word for them is that they are a form of living hell. They're a taste, at least we would say, of hell. But what Jesus is pointing us to here, and what you need to know, is that you don't have to fear the consequences of such in this life, because your Heavenly Father knows exactly what that's like. He is with you in the midst of it. And your King and your Savior and friend Jesus has not only been there and done that, but He's ultimately defeated it. And if you will entrust yourself to Him, you can actually have peace even in the midst of momentary hell. Jesus is the one who stormed the gates of hell. And nothing was able to stop him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we entrust ourselves daily to many things and to many people. But we pray this day that newly we would entrust ourselves to you. For not only are you the one was able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell, but you are the one who has chosen to do the exact opposite in that, in the person, the body of your Son. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you raise us to new life in Him. And we pray that you would send us forth Even this day is those who fear you and you alone with a fatherly fear because you're the one who holds us in your bosom where no one can touch us because of Christ. We pray these things by your Spirit. Amen.